Hey everybody, welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We are a couple of missionaries with Acts 29, and this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation of the church. Mary, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Father John? I am excellent, thank you. It's the middle of July, and uh, these are great days, aren't they? It's hard to believe that we're almost at the end of July. Yeah, unbelievable. It's six weeks till college football, yeah. so I'm pretty excited about oh, that. Every day is a great day, though, yeah, right? Every day is a great day, absolutely. Hey, we just had an incredible experience, didn't we, as a, a, a mission leadership team. So Acts 29 is growing, so now we've had to uh, we're, we're segmenting somewhat. So we have kind of like our, our core team, if you will, which is, doesn't have anything to do with level of importance. It's just ways for us to differentiate each other. Um, we call it the mission leadership team. So that's you, me, Rick, Albert, Nick. We just had an opportunity to do something that was really extraordinary. We were out in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. You know what the, uh, what the irony of this is, Father John? So I'm the only woman on the mission leadership team, and we took this offsite, this leadership offsite, this opportunity to go to Gettysburg to to press into some leadership principles and whatnot. My husband visited Gettysburg, I don't know how many times, a set of years ago, all guys. It was kind of like, do you want to come? Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. And I found myself there all these many years later with four men, and it was one of the most impressive experiences I've ever had, so much so that I think it's been difficult to articulate what that experience was like. Well, here's the other irony. You're, you, because your husband's a Marine, you're the only one out of the five of us on the mission leadership team that's actually fired an M16 because you won yes, the I G.I. Jane Award, didn't you? I did. You? I fired a grenade launcher. I fired a <laughs> pistol. <laughs> and a rifle. Right? Isn't that crazy? But, but anyway, back, back to the matter at hand. It was an amazing experience for us as a leadership team to visit Gettysburg and uh, j- just a lot of leadership principles that we're yeah. going to take away and talk about tonight. Yeah, so I mean, you know, maybe just a, a quick point, especially for, um, you know, for folks who are in parish ministry, church ministry, but even folks who are leaders in uh, their own industries uh, who aren't church related. One of the things that we make a point to do is every quarter we do an offsite. And it's just so essential to get out of the daily grind and to get off your home turf and to do something different, right? And uh, and, and we every time we do these, uh, the, the, the dividends are enormous. And this just happened to be one where we, you know, we tried to it plop ourselves into the middle of one of the most famous battles, if not the most famous battle ever fought on American soil. And, I, and just to glean, you know, like asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to teach us about right. this, right? So anyway, so we were just there for a couple of days and, and we had a chance to just walk the battlefield, spend a couple of nights and to, um, uh, and to relive the experience of Gettysburg. And I can see you, you're doing hand signals. We haven't prayed yet. We haven't prayed yet. So I'm going to ask you to pray and then I'm going to tee up the topic and then we can press in because there's just a lot that we want to yeah. share, right, Father John? Yeah, absolutely. This, this goes to indicate just how much of an impact I think this had on us. So let's do that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we just ask for your uh, grace, your blessing, your anointing upon our conversation right now that what what we're about to share from what we had the uh, privilege to experience uh, last week would be edifying, helpful, encouraging, inspiring, uh, and practical uh, for those who are listening right now. Continue 
to teach us, to form us, to train us, uh, so that we would do everything we do intentionally, intelligibly, uh, and always calling upon the power of your Holy Spirit. We just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, Father and the, the Son, and the, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. So, Father John, what's our topic today? Yeah, so the, the topic is something like, um, who's with you? I love that. So I'll tee this up. So there are, you know, we're all the five of us who had the the opportunity to go and to just kind of like walk the battlefield. We're all still trying to unpack uh, the highlights of of just the time that we had together. But the the highlight for me was as simple as this. And and, and this could be a really short podcast. But so Gettysburg takes place July 1st, 2nd and 3rd of uh, 1863. And on the third day is the day where uh, the battle ends, and and there's a there, there's a, a number of different things that take place. One of which is commonly known now as Pickett's Charge, right. which in all the monuments on the battlefield is never identified as Pickett's Charge. It's actually identified as Longstreet's Assault. And so one of the things that we did as we were walking around the battlefield is there's a, a beautiful um, I think they call it a cyclorama. It was an amazing experience. Yeah, that so it's, you walk into this, and it's a it's an oil painting from like the turn of the twentieth century, if I'm not mistaken, and it, it's a three hundred and sixty degree painting um, done by somebody depicting different scenes in the battle, which gives you the impression that you're walking into the battle. Yeah, it's really moving. There's a narrator. Different things are you know kind of illuminated as uh, as this little presentation is done. And then there's quotes that are shared from different people from both the the Confederacy as well as the Union uh, about the day itself. And I remember one of the guys um, from the Union uh, describes the site that he saw, and we'll talk about what he saw in a moment, as uh, being just truly terrifying to him and how much they were afraid. So here's the deal. It's the third day of the battle. And uh, what, what happens in, on this day is the Union are on uh, the highest ground. Um, they're, they're defending a, a, an area known, I, I believe, as Cemetery, I don't cemetery remember if it's Hill ridge. or Ridge. So there's Cemetery Ridge and there's Seminary Ridge, which are two different things. One's a Lutheran seminary and one's a, an actual cemetery. When I was in the seminary, I often called it a cemetery, <laughs> but that's a different story. Okay, we're not going to go there. So anyway, so here's the union. So this is this, this guy's comment is we were terrified when we saw what they saw. What did they see? They saw 12,000 Confederate soldiers emerging out of the woods, and they started to walk. And we walked this, didn't we? We did, we this, did. We did this march. It's about, I don't know, maybe close to three-quarters yeah. of a mile through a wheat field. And they're not firing as they're marching. They're just marching, trying to get to the place where the the Union are. And so the Union are on on high ground. They have, they're not alone. They have 10,000 or so troops with them. They're kind of like arm in arm. They're next to each other. They have great supply lines. They have good communication channels. They have a variety of cannon, heavy artillery which are able to, to uh, attack the, in, you know, the advancing Confederacy, if you will, from two sides, from Little Round Top, which is a, a big hill, and then from the, the cemetery itself. So here's this guy. He's one of 10,000 Union troops. He's looking at 12,000 people advancing on him who are not firing, because if they fire, they have to slow down. So they, they're just walking, right? 
And, and here's a guy on high ground looking at 12,000 people walking towards him, even though he's got artillery and supply chains and communication and, and a number of soldiers, and he's afraid. And as I was praying with that the next day, I'm thinking of this as a pastor from a, you know my own context when I was pastoring a parish or from bishops that I know, that we know, or from other pastors that we've had a chance to work with. It's almost like I was looking at that cyclorama again, that 360 degree painting, and various elements began to disappear. So all of a sudden, here's the guy. So now the, now the guy who's standing behind the wall, he's a pastor. And suddenly there's no more artillery. They're gone. And then suddenly there's no supply chain. They're gone. And then suddenly there's no communication channels. They're gone. And then suddenly there's no more people around him. He's there alone behind the wall looking at these people. And and our experience in working, I don't want to overstate this because, you know, thanks be to God, there are really strong teams in lots of parishes around the country. But unfortunately, there are lots of parishes where that's not in place. And our brothers either feel like they are, or they are in fact alone. alone. And so that hence the topic, right? Who's with you? You know, changing the, the, the jumping from the Civil War to World War II, you often talked about, we, we love Hacksaw Ridge, and you often talk about there's a scene in there where the, the artillery is assaulting a particular area and then at a certain moment it stops. And you used that. How did you describe that? Because I, I it, love this. I thought it was, uh, it, for me, it was an image of prayer cover, you know, intercessory prayer. As, um, as um, the soldier went back into that fire on the ridge, what's his name again, Father Desmond John? Doss. Desmond Doss. as he goes back in, um, all of a sudden, the artillery stops, and he's not safe. He's not protected. He's not sheltered, yeah. and he's at risk. Yeah. And, and, right? Yeah. And, and So here, here's, I think, the simple point, and, and this is both immediately practical for bishops, for pastors, but I think also for families. Do you have people interceding for you? Hence that question, like, who's with you? Like the, 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 we, we would always say the, 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 um, the cover for everything that we do is prayer. It, absolutely. And if we don't have people praying, it, it, it just doesn't happen. I was reading I was reading something the other day from Pope Benedict XVI that really struck me. He was using as an image, uh, not as an image, he was talking about um, the fall of Jericho and how you know, the wall comes down right. from what? From people marching around it, praying, and doing right. liturgical intercession. And he says, well, that just seems kind of absurd to us in the modern age, right? And then he immediately, and I'd never thought of this, he says, but we just lived through something like that. He had written this like in the early 2000s. Mm. That was the fall of the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall fell. It didn't fall simply by the you know people marching around it with prayer. That's not what I'm saying. But the fact that the Berlin Wall fell without shots being fired, just like the Wall of Jericho fell without an assault, right. but just by prayer. Faithful, steadfast, 
persevering prayer. Yeah, amen. That, right. That's extraordinary, right? And so for us in parish ministry, in diocesan ministry, in family life, do we have people who we feel like we can call up or who are regularly interceding for us for whatever's going on in the parish? You know, like, so we always had a team of intercessors. We have a team of intercessors for our work in Acts 29. We're always encouraging pastors and bishops. Do you have people who you know have the charism to intercede to whom you can entrust particular projects, right. particular endeavors, particular areas of concern, and just say, will you please lend, lend to us something like the spiritual artillery to cover our work, right? Right. You, you know, even, I'm, I'm not sure where we want to take the conversation, but, but something strikes me as, as you're talking, there, there's so many great lessons to take away from all of this. And so, you, you know, you, you talk about, you know, Longstreet's assault, the, how visually overwhelming that was. And then in your prayer, these various things disappearing, you know, the supply channels, um, the supply lines, rather, all the communications, you know, the brothers in arm, all of that. What are, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the church finds herself or parishes find themselves, or pastors and their teams find themselves in unexpected territory that they didn't expect to be in. So keep in mind that the Battle of Gettysburg was unplanned, and both of those commanders on the ground had to be very agile and adapt. And that's one of the things I think that we were able to do in Acts 29. We're agile. We can adapt to what the Spirit is saying. And and, and if anything... um, the need for prayer is because perhaps they find themselves in situations unplanned. They never thought they'd be here um, with the challenges that we face, whether right. it's on a diocesan level or parish level. And and these pastors, you know, we we often encourage our leaders in the church to pray with the mind of a general. Yeah. You know, to pray strategically. General Meade had to pray or had to lead strategically. I think he was a man of prayer, right? A lot of these guys were very, very faithful men. But all the leaders, you know, the union leaders and the Confederate leaders found themselves in a place they didn't expect to be, and they had to adapt. And I think the church finds herself in that place right now. Absolutely. And uh, and unfortunately, we we don't always adapt. And sometimes we don't adapt, and, and this is the point of the who's with us. Right. Because we're having to do it all. Alone. Yeah, alone. And so... Um, you know, we, we often we we often say to to uh, to pastors and to bishops, you know, talking about leadership and the importance of leadership. We call it the Jethro principle. So Moses, with whom none of us is ever going to be able to remotely compare, because you think <laughs> the dude led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, right? So Moses, this man who is as great as he is at a certain point is trying to do everything on his own. And Jethro, his father-in-law, comes to him, my translation, and says, you, sir, are a moron. (laughs) And Moses is like, what are you talking about? He goes, because Moses is trying to do everything on his own. He's hearing every single complaint from the people. And Jethro says, you are the load is way too heavy for you. You are wearing the people out and you are exhausting yourself. You need to find 70 wise men to help you shoulder the load. 
who among so, us don't need so if Moses needed 70 like how many guys do I need right how many men and exactly women do right. I need if Moses needed 70 I probably need like 7,000 and, and and even if you find yourself in parish ministry or diocesan ministry and you have a good team yeah there's still room to be a great team yeah. And so there's always room to be, you know, asking the Lord to bring those men and women to me, Lord, that you already have an eye on. Bring them to me so that we can lock arms, yeah. brothers and sisters in arms, yeah. and bring transformation to the church. Right. And, and that's the basic point of all this. The basic point is oftentimes I think our guys feel like they're alone and God never wants us to operate alone. Okay. And we don't have to operate alone. And, and we hear guys say all the time, yeah, but I don't have the money to provide for a staff. Well, there are ways that the people of God love to serve. And we know pastors in lots of different parts of the country who have huge staffs who, have, who are composed in large part from men and women who've just said, you don't have to pay me. I I'll, just want to serve. I'll do yeah. that. Right. You know, and they do it because there's a vision which is compelling them to right. be a part of it. Right. Right. So... Prayer, that's the key, right? So some of us are doing this on our own, and we might need to be asking the Lord right now, Lord, I need 70 wise men and women to be raised up. So, you know, this is the time of year where a lot of us have just moved parish assignments. We're finding ourselves in a new place. We don't know anybody yet. Use this time just to, to pray in your own personal prayer. If you're a new pastor or a pastor in a new location, Lord, show me who are these wise men and women in this area who can help me so that I don't have to do this alone because I can't do this alone. Maybe you're a longstanding pastor and you find yourself frustrated right now because you're in a situation, much like you described, that you didn't anticipate, That's right. but here you are. That's right. So find people who have the charism of intercession and ask them, can you please pray for me, for our staff, for the parish? that we will be attentive to what the Lord's doing. Otherwise, we don't have a chance. That's right. Right? That's right. That's a good word for all of us, Father John. Yeah. Amen. All right. I love it. So here, here's the good news. Um, Jesus has won the battle. Uh, it's already been taken care of. He's defeated the power of sin and death and Satan. He's triumphed over hell. Um, death has no hold on you and me. And he tells us we don't have to be afraid. And I don't have to be afraid. Um, and he tells me that 365 times, which means there's lots of opportunities for me to be afraid. But I don't have to give into it. And that's, that's right. true. And because that's true, as you go about your week this or your work this week, do not be afraid. God is with you. You were born for this. <laughs>